right? And now, when you see differentiated people or well-differentiated people in life, what you see is people that are on mission, and they know what they're going to do. They're not going to be distracted from what they're doing. And even secular um, philosophical or phil- philosophical uh, philosophers say that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was one of the most differentiated persons who ever lived, right? He knew his purpose, and nothing was going to distract it. Josh earlier talked about this teaching, this tough teaching that he did, right? And, and we see this through the book of John on repeat. Like, some people believe, some people say, this is just too much. I can't handle this. This is just, I can't do this. And they walk away. And Jesus isn't like, oh, no, 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 no. I was just kidding. I was joking about that part. It sounded a little, sounded a little crazy. I'm sorry. He didn't. Because here's what he knew. He knew that he was on mission, right? And he knew that his, his purpose and his calling was, was to impact change in the world. And that's what he did. And that's what he's still doing today. And so um, if you'll recall with me, if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to give you a little synopsis of, of the beginning of chapter 8 of, of the book of John. Um, here we find Jesus uh, doing this thing where he's like drawing in the sand, Right? And so they catch this woman in, a, in the act of adultery. They bring her out. The punishment is to stone her. Jesus is just drawing in the sand. And he's in a position where he's sitting. And so they're going to basically kill this lady. We asked last week, where was the dude? Just, just a question. All right? But she's there. They're using her as an example. They're trying to get Jesus to, you know, break the law. And Jesus says, hey, go ahead, and, go ahead and stone her. But the first one who throws the first stone, okay, you need to be without sin. What Jesus does in this moment is he makes people think and look inward and say, woof, there's no way that I could throw a stone because I know, I'm without, I know that I'm not without sin. And the oldest people first, because tendency is the, the older you are, the wiser you get. That's not a rule. Sometimes that holds to be true. I would say the majority of the time holds to be true. Of course, we've seen 50, 60-year-olds that they just haven't ever grown up, all right? They look 50 and 60 and 70, but they act 10? No, I'm kidding. 12. And so, and so Jesus says this, and basically in doing this process, Jesus effectively frees this woman from the sentence of death. And he does this while he simultaneously is introducing her to life that is found in him and that's found in the grace and love and mercy of God. And he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? They're not there. And then he says to her this thing, go and sin no more. And so I just think this is a a sweet picture of Jesus because in that moment, we don't know what happened to the woman. We don't know if she became a disciple of Jesus, but here's what Jesus presents her with. In that moment, he presents her with the potential of setting her life on a brand new trajectory. And so we continue on chapter 8. 
And here's what I want to, I always like to give a little bit of context to where we are as we read, because I feel like if we don't, then we just read it from this place of modernity, right? We read the scriptures as if it was happening outside of these walls right now in 2022. And so here's what Jesus is. He's at the festival. It's a festival uh, where they, come, they came three times a year. They were uh, required to, as male Jews, to come to these festivals. And this one was called the Festival of Tabernacles. And what this festival did is it's also known as the Festival of Shelters. And what it did is it gives thanks to God for the harvest from the trees. And again, like we talked about last week, this, you got to all the wells are low at this point. It's super dry. It's super arid time of the year. And of course, Jesus talks about, you know, that, that from him, living water flows, all right? And then again, Jesus is a fabulous teacher, all right? So here we are. We have these wells that are dry. We have the rivers that are low. And then we're, we're celebrating the thankfulness of the harvest. And we're also looking back right, as the Israelites traveled through the desert for 40 years, and they stayed in these temporary shelters. So you have this thing called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Shelters. And so um, Jesus continues to speak. He frees this lady from this act of adultery and says, hey, you know, go and don't sin anymore. She's alive. She has a new trajectory. And so where they're gathered is called the court of women or the court of treasury. And I want you to just get this picture, right? We're, we're in Jerusalem. And the court of women, there's, there's 12 offering receptacles, and that's where the money goes. And it might have been where the, the old lady came and put, like, her little bit of money in one of those receptacles. This is kind of the same area. And so these are shaped like shofars. If you, if you don't know what a shofar is, um, let me tell you something. If you don't know what a shofar is, bless you. Uh, no, they're just these, ram, they're like ram's horns. Has anybody heard a shofar blown before? Yes. Yeah, and you realize why they only blew them about once a year. And so here is the deal. So then there's four stands, these four giant stands, and each one of these stands has four large bowls on it, and each one of these is filled with oil and with uh, the old priestly garments that were used as wicks, and this place would have been a total of 16 lamps in this one courtyard area. And it was said, and of course this is hyperbole, but it was said off of the yellow stone of Jerusalem that these lamps would illuminate all of Jerusalem. And now we can think, if you guys have ever, have you guys ever been in a remote place where you can see these things in the sky called stars? Have you ever been there? All right. And have you ever been so remote that you said, oh my gosh, I never knew all this existed. We were out in Kenya one time in the middle of nowhere, and I looked up at the sky, and my, I almost started just to cry. Because I was like, I've never seen this. Like there's thousands upon thousands of stars. So you can imagine here in a place that doesn't have public utilities, the further you get away from metropolises, the more you can see. They don't have public utilities. They don't have street lamps, okay? So here is this bright, 
this coming from the court of women or the court of treasury. And this is the environment in which Jesus says this, picking up in John 8, 12 through 20. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you make these claims about yourself and such testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your, law, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they ask. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, and you don't know who my Father is, if you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus said these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. I just want to say up front, there's a lot of stuff that we could take away from that passage right there, those verses. Here's what I want us to take away is this, that Jesus is still the light of the world. I want us to recognize something, too, that as Jesus teaches, he's a great teacher. He's in the middle of this festival, right? It's all dry out. He says, I am where living water flows from. And that has to go back to, to the Israelites out in the wilderness. He says that I am the light of the world. This section lights up all of Jerusalem. I am the light of the world and the light for the world. And here's the takeaway is this. Jesus is still the light of the world. When we hear Christ make these statements about being the light of the world, here's one thing that we have to realize. It's not a passing statement, okay? It is a statement that is a fulfillment statement of prophecy. It is an incarnational statement of Jesus being fully God and fully man. And it is an eternal statement about the supremacy above Jesus above all. Jesus is not just a man with a cool little following of people, but he doesn't have just these great teaching methods. He is God come to earth the fulfillment of the prophets, and the hope of the nations. He is fully God and fully man. And, and the very things that pointed to him in Scripture, and there's this theme throughout Scripture, and, and we say this, that, that, that there's, a, there's a meta-narrative. Well, what the heck does that mean? All right? A meta-narrative is an overarching story. If you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you find is that everything points to Jesus that everything points to Jesus. And there's a theme of light, which we see, right? In Genesis 1, 3 through 5, it says this, then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Now, this is like light, okay? This is not Jesus. I'm not referring to Jesus here, all right? But then he separated light from darkness. And then in Exodus, it says this, in Exodus 13, 21, 22, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel day or by day or by night. 
And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of, them, in front of the people. Psalm 27, one says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? A signpost, a marker towards Jesus. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is the lamp to guide my feet and the light to my path. And even in the gospel of John chapter one, it says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot be extinguished. When we see Jesus as the light of the world, the one through which life flows, we can begin to understand to live in discipleship to Christ is to walk in truth. And I just want to say that again. To live in discipleship to Christ. This is, now, let's, what, what do you mean by that? To follow Jesus. You mean perfectly? <laughs> How many of you guys in here are following Jesus perfectly? No liars. Okay, cool. All right, so you're walking. You're walking. You're, you want to be like Jesus, so is discipleship is to walk with Jesus in truth. To walk with truth is to live out the abundance of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean, Andy? The abundance of the kingdom. Should we all have Mercedes? Because I don't have it. I have a Corolla. And I'm wondering, is that less abundant? No. Here's what it means. The abundance of the kingdom is this, that, that life is found in us because of Jesus. See these possessions, and if you have a Mercedes, great, love it. Can I get a ride? Uh, but the abundance of the kingdom is to know Jesus. And so to live truth, the truth of Jesus is to live out of the abundance of the kingdom. To live out of the abundance of the kingdom is to bear fruit. And the fruit looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's found in Galatians Five. And here's what I want to present this idea. If that's the fruit of the Spirit, if I'm living in discipleship to Jesus and I'm living out of the abundance of the kingdom and my life is producing these fruits, which are called the fruits of the Spirit, um, could the world use a little bit of that today? Could the world use a little bit of love, a little bit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you guys think in the room that I could use those things? For sure. Like, how many of you, when I listed those things a couple times, you're like, ooh, that self-control one. All right? How many of you were like, ooh, that gentleness one? That gentleness one, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's me. All right? And so if my life is producing this and I'm living out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, these are the things that are seen. And so this changes everything. Like Jesus' statement here, it changes everything. And I want to give you some hope this morning is that it wasn't just for the people in the biblical context. It wasn't just for those people. It's for us right now and the people around us right now. Jesus is still the light of the world. He's still the hope of the nations. 
he is still the first in the restoration of all things. He's all those things. I want to read this to you. It's out of the book of Colossians, and it reads like this. Christ is the invisible image of, or is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is the first in everything. For God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in a physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before God or before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news was, has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So again, takeaway number one, Christ is still the light of the world. Let's continue here. John chapter eight, 21 through 30 says this. Later, Jesus said to them again, and again, he's still talking in this temple of the women, the temple of the treasury, or this court of the treasury, and he says this, uh, I am going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people ask, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You can't come where I am going. And Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you, will, that is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have, who I've always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard the one who sent me. Big words. For I only say, for I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but only say, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases Him. And then many who heard Him say these things believed in Him. Takeaway number two, and the final takeaway is this. To embrace Jesus 
is to embrace the reality of both life and death. I just want to say that again, because I think sometimes it's a harsh reality. To embrace Jesus is to embrace the reality of both life and death. And what do I mean by that? You guys ever heard of an old song? I forget who it was by, but it's super old. Like, okay, super, let me calm down. That's a relative term. All right. Uh, in every season. In every season, turn, turn. The birds. You guys know that song? All right. Do you know where that comes from? Apple Music. That's right. All right. <laughs> That's where it comes from, all right? Uh, yeah, it comes from Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> okay, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I encourage you to read that. That's a book in the Bible. It's called Ecclesiastes, all right? And chapter 3 and, and uh, verses 1 through 11, it, it says there's a season for everything. And so, is it up there? Yeah, we're not going to read it. You can take it down. It's cool. I put it on there. That's my bad, all right? But man, it goes through this whole like, there's a season for this, there's a season for that, there's a season for this, there's a season for that. And here's what I think we do as humans. I'm not even gonna say as Western humans because it's like the West gets like a bad rap, but I think it's human nature. And we've talked about this before. Everything in life should be up and to the right. Everything in life. Profits, up and to the right. Vacation time, up and to the right. What do you mean by up and to the right? This is a graph. This is the line of increase, right? What axis is this? Y. And this is X. And what do we want our lives to look like? Ever increasing. How many of you guys know the reality of life is sometimes it is like this, and then it... And then it's here, and then... Ugh. But we have this idea that life, man, should always increase. You should never have a bad day, especially if you know Jesus, right? Oh, man, I just lost one of my best friends. Well, God is, is uh, it's okay because God is with you. That is a true statement, but it offers no comfort to me, all right? Oh, well, heaven just needed another angel. Dropkick. Like, what? Just no words would be better. Have you ever been in awkward situations where people's words just start coming out? And like in the South, women would say to those people, oh, bless their heart. That's code word for shut up. Okay? Stop talking. All right? And, and so I was thinking about this whole season thing. And how, wow, the reality of Christ is seen in both life and death. There's, there's this resurrection. Oh, I want to know the power of your resurrection. But how do I know the power of your resurrection? Something must die. And so Jen right now is having this whole garden planted, right? We have like garden beds, and we're going to fence it in, and there's going to be these six, six raised beds. All right, and she's got seeds going right now, and here's what I love about gardening, and I even got lost on Friday, I'm not going to lie to you, on like a YouTube rap, I am confessing the lameness of my life right now. I got on a YouTube rabbit hole of time lapse of 
plants. Has anybody else been like, that's satisfying. Thank you. Okay. You get me. All right. And so it starts with this seed, right? So I started with the bean seed because the bean seed's like super quick, right? That's the one that they did in school with your kids. Or you might have done. Like you put it in a Dixie cup and you there, you cover it and just water it. And like a couple days later, you're like, dude, I did that. I planned it. I made that happen. And so, and then like, then it showed, I moved to a, a mango or an avocado in this thing. Now that thing is just, it takes forever. And that's how impatient we are also. Like it was a three minute video, so it wasn't forever. Like, so I'm like, I'm like, let's skip to the end. All right. And so I just thought about it, as Jen plants this, I look out of those six beds and I look just at black right now, just soil. There's nothing there. There's a topsoil, and I know that there's some like cow manure in there, and I know that there's some other stuff in there that, that's decomposing and composting, dying. <laughs> and so, but I know this, if we tend that, what we're going to see over time, and some of the fruit is going to come quicker than others but we're going to see those garden beds full. And I thought about this season in our life. Well, well, guess what? Like when I was spreading the six yards of topsoil, thinking to myself, why did I buy a lawnmower and not a tractor? I had the option to buy a tractor. Why didn't I do that? I'm the tractor. All right? But I, I just, and that's not me trying to be a hero. It's just like the reality is this. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes tending to. If gardening teaches you one thing out of many is disappointment is real. How many of you guys have tended for a plant that just like, pooped out on you. And it was looking good. I did everything. I did the miracle grow sticks. I watered that beast. Or then a squirrel comes up and eats everything. And I'm like, I want to introduce you to death. <laughs> what are you doing? But gardening is like this. Here's what I want to say. Gardening is like this, too. We really don't know what's going on underneath the soil. And I say that as we look at other people's lives. We don't really know what's going on underneath the soil. Maybe, maybe, if we did this, if we said, man, I wonder if I could operate in a little bit of love, in a little bit of joy, in a little bit of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I just wonder if that's how I approached people, like I could be more like Jesus to people. See, Jesus obviously knew 
what the lady caught in the act of adultery was doing. But he met her as an image bearer of God. And he met her with grace, love, and peace. Now, he didn't like, hey, man, got you out of that one. Go do your thing. He said, hey, you know, go sin no more. And so I want to read this out of this book I'm going through with actually several people right now. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzera. If you need an easy read, there are Dr. Seuss books available. Now, this isn't that bad, but uh, this one part struck me about the dark night of the soul, about grief and how, you know, Sometimes we don't deal well with grief because that's loss. And sometimes we like to sweep that under the rug. And I don't mean just losing someone. It could be losing a friendship. Um, It could be a loss of innocence in someone's life that you know. It could be a number of things that might grieve you. And so this, uh, this guy says this, Pete Scazzera says this, Turning toward pain is counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. Of course, it preaches easier than it is to live. Uh, This guy, Gerald um, Sitzer, says this, in his book, A Grace Disguised. He reflects on the loss of his mother, his wife, and young daughter in a horrific car accident. And he chose not to run from his loss, but to walk directly into the darkness, letting the experience of that overwhelming tragedy transform his life. He learned that, and this this line floored me, He learned that the quickest way to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after it, but to head east into the darkness until you finally reach the sunrise. What I want us to do is a little bit of an exercise, if you will is this, and I'm not going to make you stand up or do anything like that. You have stood up enough today. Is this. I just want to take a moment, and let's think of like one thing that is cool that is happening in our lives, right? And so just take 30 seconds and think about that. One thing that's happening that's good in your life. Just think about that. And so, God, we thank you for these things that are happening, the things that are so good, the things that are gifts from you, the things that might be right in front of our face that we, if we stop and think, they're just, they're things that are great. And maybe a couple people, like, what, what's, what was the thing? Anybody? 
Throw it around. You can saw it. What's up? What's up? That isn't corny. I get it. I just got a dog, and I love her more than my other one. Uh, I get it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's good. Sounds like a couple of my kids. Uh, who else? What else? Your husband. Fresh cup of coffee. First cup of coffee. Every day. Pray for that addiction later. Um, no, okay. Your husband. He's a good guy. Friendship. Absolutely. It's good stuff. What else? Anybody else? One more? Go with the dog again. Common theme. God's provision. Yeah. So these are good things, man. Like we could actually like stand up and celebrate these things. Now what I want us to do in the next like 15 seconds is think of something that in your life is like super challenging right now. Something that you might say, God, I don't understand why this is going on. I just don't. And would you even, maybe I'm not forcing you to say this, you might have already said this, I'm actually like pretty angry about this. I don't get it. Why is this happening? And so could we just like think of that something? If you want to, close your eyes. If you don't, that's cool. Think about that something. Now, I'm not going to have you stand up and say that something. But what I would encourage you to do is say that something to somebody you trust. And what I would encourage you to do is this, that, that God is big enough to handle that. It is not, cause, it is not caught him by surprise. And here's what I love, that, that God is big enough to handle you saying, I am pissed about this. I am not happy. Here's what a super wise person said to me last week. She said to me, take the sadness and sit with it. And sit with God in that sadness don't brush it underneath a rug, but sit with God in that sadness and let the tears begin to flow. And let the silence come. And in the midst of that silence, in the midst of that tears, let God show up. And what you'll find yourself doing is beginning Say, God, you are good. In the midst of all these things, you are good. You are faithful. Even when my life feels like it's down and to the left, you are present. Even when there's things that I'm walking through that I don't understand, you are here in my midst. And it's by your strength and your power that I can continue on.
Stand with me. Gary hands me the microphone and says, come here. <laughs> um, let's, let's pray. Um, anybody that would need ministry afterwards, there'll be people up here, as Andy said. But let's, um, let's pray that, uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, we just ask, would you meet us in the middle of those things, like Andy said, that are breaking our hearts right now? Because we can rest assured that if it's breaking ours, it breaks yours. We can rest assured that you've promised that you would never leave us alone as orphans, that you would always meet us in the middle of all that we experience through life. Thank you that that's actually an encouragement, not a discouragement, because you choose always to be where we are. If we'll just look, if we'll just listen, if we'll just join with your heart. So we just ask that you would uh, encourage us as a body as we lead this place knowing that you are sending us out from this place on mission to be with you. Be with us now as we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.